On this episode, we talk with Josh Band, founder and CEO of PlateCrate, and Amir Grozdanich, co-founder and CEO of Preella. We talk about the relationship between merchant and agency and what each brings to the table. Josh gives us incredible insight into how his business runs and where he leverages Amir's expertise to help him grow. With an emphasis on customer experience, the tandem works together to constantly optimize the customer journey from their industry-leading referral program to communication post-purchase and repeating the process for their subscription customers. Amir then gives us his biggest bets for the remainder of 2022 and into 2023. Because he's been in the agency world so long, his predictions just might be worth paying attention to. So let's hop in. Josh and Amir, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for having us. Josh, why don't you go first? Tell us about who you are and about PlateCrate. Uh, Yeah, my name's Josh Band. I'm the founder and CEO of PlateCrate. It's a a monthly box of baseball gear and greatness. I think like Birchbox or BarkBox for baseball. We also launched uh, SoccerCrate.co in uh, October of last year. So a youth sports focused subscription box. And Amir, over to you. I am uh, one of the co-founders and CEO of Priala. Uh, we are a uh, e-commerce agency. We predominantly focus on Shopify and Recharge, working uh, as a white glove support from a project level or retainer level with uh, various merchants. And I'm also a co-founder of Hulk Apps, where we service about 140,000 stores in the um, Shopify ecosystem. Uh, so tech side and white glove side uh, uh, to our uh, service offers. Love it. Appreciate the intros, both of you. Um, so for our listeners today, we're gonna we're gonna start in a bit of a different place. We're gonna kind of talk about the the agency merchant relationship. Um, it's something we get a lot of questions about at Recharge. How does it start? How does it grow? That kind of thing. Um, so Josh, I will turn it over to you to start. When in the journey did you reach out to to Amir Prail in, in the first place, and what prompted you to do that initially? Yeah. Uh, so we were just getting to the point where uh, if our website went down or if there was an issue, I had no support. So I was reaching out to, uh, you know, individual developers. I was doing research after a problem happened. And it just got to the point where the numbers kind of spoke for themselves. If we were down for, you know, one or two days, uh, the revenue we lost wasn't worth not paying somebody. So uh, we just kind of got to a volume where I was like, I just need this peace of mind to where if our, if our site shut down, I have someone to instantly turn to. And then once that's taken care of, I thought it was uh, another great growth channel. There were a lot of things that um, are just out of the box with all the apps um, that you know we wanted to improve. We wanted to improve our customer experience. We wanted to improve all the metrics that we're working on. So I thought if we could just get that peace of mind uh, first, which came from a lot of pain uh, from our, our website going down uh, in the first place, uh, then we can also leverage it for an, another growth strategy and, and custom development work. Was there a thought to build out your own development team internally to to kind of avoid that? Or was it just, you know, hey, I know that Amir and Prail are experts. We're just going to go that route. Yeah, honestly, there was never um, there was never the thought of, of hiring an in-house developer. Uh, we work with other agencies. I love working with agencies. Um, you're getting a lot more uh, for basically what you're paying. You're getting a, a bigger network of experts. Um, you're getting, a, you know, an account manager, you're getting a strategist, you're getting people who, if they don't know the answer, they have a team of people that they can solve. So you're just de-risking yourself from one person. If you have one person working on your team and they don't know the answer, um, then it's not going to get solved quickly. But if, you know, if you're working with Amir and Priella or Hulk apps, they have a network of people, they can get answers right away uh, and they're just well connected. So I just thought it was the, the least risky and most cost efficient way of doing it. And, uh, and also you can, you can test it. Um, we, you know, we, I think we start off with like a six month test 
Um, and I think we've been together, I don't even know, a year and a half, two years now. Um, so the test obviously went well, but yeah, it was just, I was just de-risking myself going with an agency and it was definitely looking back. It was absolutely the right move. Amir, how common is that experience? It is very common. Um, I, I think a lot of agencies do have that battle. Do we keep it in house? Do we go with an agency? Do we even go with a, with a freelancer? And I think in different stages of the company's growth, certain conversations are going to hit differently uh, because of these like risk factors that Josh mentioned. Uh, so we get agencies, for example, that come to us that work with a freelancer and that freelancer goes on vacation and something happens, there is no backup while they're gone. We've also worked with uh, merchants who have an internal team, but managing that or hiring enough talent that they can across a spectrum of uh, different subject matters, whether front-end development, back-end development, marketing, SEO, you name it, um, can they keep up with all of that? And there are some extremely talented people and that, that do an incredible job with that and that that's a good fit for them. But we see in our ecosystem, uh, specifically, you know, Recharge, Shopify, and so forth, that most merchants tend to uh, want to find that right partner, that somebody who's going to become an extension of their team and really believe in the product. And I, and I think that's the most important part is finding somebody who has common values or with you, who believes in your brand. It can't just be a task or project oriented. There has to be a passion from the agency side as well. And we really need to, uh, to dive into that. But that, that's what we typically get from, from merchants. They want somebody to be their right hand, uh, work as hard in their businesses as they do and, and share their passion for, for their business. I'm glad you brought up examples of different types of developers. That was one thing I was going to comment on, but I'm not a developer, so I didn't want to have all, all that kind of insight. But same from the marketing world, you know, you, you too often see a lot of startups hire a general marketing person, and then they, they do everything in the marketing world. It's the same with the development side. And you think that, you know, oh, I just need a developer to kind of own the site. But there are so many different pieces of there's the front end, there's the back end, there's all the data side of this, the warehousing, all those kinds of things. And if you just hire one person, uh, just like you said, there, there might not be expertise there. If they don't know the answer to that, something may go down, then you're right back in the same spot of just Googling around and trying to find the answer. So hiring that agency team definitely is, is super important. Yeah. Also, there's there was no designer. So, I mean, I was hiring designers to work with developers. They didn't really work together consistently. And that was another piece. You know, I have design hours with Priella and uh, and that's another big piece as well. And then again, just to reiterate redundancy, like if, if you're hiring one person and they're sick, that person is no longer able to work or communicate. So you're you know just having redundancy at a certain phase, again, just gave me such peace of mind. And once we had that peace of mind and we were rolling, I was like, all right, how can we get this to be an ROI positive investment? Wait, everyone doesn't work when they're sick. What's what's going on here? What's <laughs> just, totally kidding. Just you. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, the biggest uh, uh, the, the biggest thing I would also just make kind of a recommendation. Something that Josh is really well is be transparent with your partners. Don't hold back information. Uh, the more you're transparent about your goals, where your business is, uh, what's going well and what's not the better of a partner I think you can get, at least a partner that will care. They're going to respond in a specific, specific manner, but that transparency, it just, it enables us, at least from my end, speaking from, from my side, to, to, to do a lot more with, with less, in a sense, and really maximize ours and things like that. Uh, our team always likes to ask the question why. So for example, Josh may have a certain idea how to do something, 
and you know we'll ask why we may present a better alternative vice versa because how open josh is and direct and and how we collaborate sometimes he'll ask why and say hey i'll find a different solution for this one i spoke with another merchant so the more we can integrate with one another and work as a team and be transparent it just goes so so far it's an awesome point it kind of leads me to to my next question for you josh which is speaking of transparency how what what other apps do you look for and what other apps kind of have you looked for in evaluating your tech stack um, obviously use recharge. Do you use any other kind of, of the, the apps that Amir has been recommending or was this all research on your side? Yeah. I mean, it comes from a bunch of different places. We have marketing agencies we work with, but, uh, you know, I ask Amir for help on everything as well, but I mean, we have a bunch of apps. It's, it's all metric driven, right? So we're like, all right, we need, um, something to increase LTV and loyalty. What loyalty app is the best? What's going to work with recharge and Clavio and, and Shopify. What does, you know, Amir and his team know about? So we use smile. Um, we use Clavio for our ESP. Um, but basically like anytime we're evaluating an app, we're not, we're not finding an app first, then trying to figure out how to use it. We're basically saying we're going to go super hard. Uh, you know, this one metric, like there was one month I was just obsessed with AOV Our AOV dropped. We were doing a bunch of deals and I was like, we can get more of it, our, our performance marketing. If we just, if, if we actually increase AOV. So I brainstormed that with my team at Priella. I brainstormed it with my team, with, uh, my marketing team. And, uh, and we actually built a custom solution with, with a mirror on top of another app. Honestly, I don't even know what the other app is. Um, it's like, <laughs> I think it's rebuy, uh, like an upsell app, but we did an order bump at checkout. Um, and that was a, you know, we have a 30% opt-in rate from that order bump. That was the first project that we, that we did together for a revenue producing project. Uh, and it increased our, our AOV by like, you know, 25 bucks instantly. And that allowed us a bigger CAC for marketing. So, um, Basically, like the point is I'm starting from one metric. It could be conversion. It could be AOV. It could be LTV, you know, all the important subscription metrics. And it's like, what's the next thing? What's the next big step? The next big push we want to make with the company? Um, and then, you know, I leveraged everybody who has knowledge in this. It could be Amir or, or our, our um, you know, Alex, who's on our team, um, or it could be marketing, uh, or it could be another merchant uh, that we idea share with. But all the apps are coming from, um, a point of, I want to improve one very specific metric. And then I go out and I do research on the app. If the app doesn't fulfill all the needs that I want, then I talk to Amir about maybe building something custom on top of the app or building something, um, completely separate and customized. Um, but yeah, I mean, we use, we use a ton of apps <laughs> on, uh, on Shopify. It's easy, easy to plug them in, easy to get results right away and test right away. And then from there we can worry about optimizing or, or doing something custom. That's such an awesome insight into how you find the apps in the first place. A lot of people think, and there's a lot of conversation and content that goes around about like how to build your perfect tech stack. And a lot of that starts with like, oh, well, here are like the best in breed ones, but they, those might not all make sense for your business or your brand or what you're looking at at the time. So starting with a certain metric, I think is such a genius way to do it. Try to figure out what are the apps that include that increase AOV? How can this play into my business working now? You know, what's the current customer experience that's happening? How do we layer over an app that's going to add to that and not detract from that? All those are, are really, really good points. And then you may hit a point where you like have to build your own. So kind of mm -hmm. uh, a next question over to Amir, how do you determine when you want to build something versus when you want to just, you know, essentially buy it or integrate it? It will depend on the stage where the merchant is in the company and their growth. But what we typically like to do is with apps, kind of like Josh mentioned, it allows us to test and validate things really, really quickly for usually for a fraction of the price. So if somebody wants to do an absolute checkout or something like that, 
there's probably an app that's going to maybe get them 60, 70, 80% there. Now, there might be some functionality that are willing to sacrifice that um, uh, they're going to overlook or, or hold on uh, to working on. But uh, what it allows us to do is say, does this work? What is that lift? And then we look at the other 20, 30, 40% and say, hey, if we build these other functionalities out here on top of the app, or we build a brand new app for you, what is going to be that ROI? From my perspective, an agency owner, of course, we want to work. But to us, it's like, what is going to be the impact on the merchant uh, from a customer experience side, from revenue, whatever the objective of that app is. Now, there are certain apps that we will, I don't, I don't I stay with an asterisk, never replace, but, um, you know, the, the, the review apps, the subscriptions out the recharge, uh, those are like big guys that we typically just go to and integrate because they would be so expensive to build out. And we just look at what do we need to customize to bring that experience that the merchants wants for their uh, end users. And, and we and we focus on that. But some of these smaller like order bump apps and, and things like, like that, uh, it, it, it matters. But the other big part is, and uh, maybe Josh can even speak to this, sometimes if we build an app, um, if it just has a functionality, the merchant may not want metrics right away or analytics on that. Two, three months later, may say, hey, I need a dashboard. Well, if we build on an ad for this app, it could be 60, 70, 80 hours. And it's like, whoa, that's way too expensive, but I can pay um, a rebuy or somebody else, you know, a fraction of the price and, and have it for, for a very long time. So we just try to be strategic. Uh, and the last part to kind of say, like, we also want to control how many apps are on the store because the more apps you add, especially their front end apps, the slower the, the website will get and the more convoluted it will get. So it's you kind of have to balance it out and have a, uh, a very objective approach to every single impact of the business and kind of scale based on that. Does it resonate, Josh? Yeah, I mean, it all resonates because it's all it's all applied in real life. Like me and Mir <laughs> this a bunch of times already. Uh, you know, I think we talked about before we wanted to build out um, kind of this retention flow. So if you go to, to cancel your account, you can actually, you know, pause your account. You can tell a customer, um, you know, give a customer 15 or 20 bucks off their next subscription. So we were actually going to build that out and I found a, a solution for it. Uh, so I was like, let's just test out that this will even work. Let's see how it'll work. So we, we found an app that did it for, for less money. But I mean, something we also talked about was if I find an app uh, that'll do what we want to do, it just opens up more opportunity to do other things. So it's not like we just didn't use hours that month. We were just working on other projects, building out landing pages. Um, you know, I pay, uh, you know, a retainer for a certain amount of hours. Uh, I'm always going to use those hours. There's like unlimited amounts of projects to do or optimizations, uh, or new stores to be built out. So, um, if I can do an app and actually save some time, I can work on more important things, um, that Amir and, you know, the team of Prayala, um, could build out that there isn't an app for. So an app just is, you know, it saves opportunity costs. Love it. Let's get a little bit more specific. We, we've kind of hopped around this idea of customer experience a little bit. We've talked more about the tech stack than the actual customer experience. Um, Amir, there are probably lots of baseline expectations customers have in their journey, journey from kind of start to finish. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that the journey's never finished with subscriptions. Who do you see as some of the pace setters, some of the leaders in the subscription industry when it comes to customer experience? Uh, excluding Josh, right? We'll, we'll include Josh for the ego <laughs> yeah. boost, but yeah, let's talk in uh, one or two other ones. <laughs> um, uh, for, for subscriptions, um, I think being an industry leader and um, really setting and being pioneering uh, subscriptions, uh, I'm 
fortunate to work with them and be, be part of their extended team's battle box. Uh, I think uh, John Roman, who's been on the show as well, he's very uh, forward-thinking. He challenges the status quo. And uh, he always brings new ideas, new tools, not just to us, but I think to the community to, to share what's going, uh, going on and how we can uh, improve things. So uh, they do a lot of uh, A-B testing, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, another company that's been very forward-thinking and open, uh, we work with them as well, is, is Beer Club. Uh, I love um, what, what they do. They're doing a lot of really cool things with, with their dashboard and allow us to experiment a lot. Uh, I think with a lot of merchants, is they're afraid to test. They're afraid to make changes. But I think if um, we're more careful about them, uh, it can go um, a, a long way. So uh, I, I, do, uh, I, I do like them. I also like from a digital uh, subscription standpoint, um, I like companies like uh, Masterclass. I'm, I'm a huge fan of them, the entire uh, experience. Um, I, I think I've been a user for two and a half years now. I'll probably never leave it. I always renew my annual subscription with them uh, just because of the, the value and the communication um, uh, that they bring. Uh, another company that, that I think does a really good job and has huge subscriber base and following is Sendbird. I think Sendbird's uh, experience and what they do for their customers and customization that, that you could do uh, there as well. Uh, they're extremely solid as well. Um, I, I think it, it's um, the, the cool part is, in, in my opinion, in uh, some of these big, big players that have subscriptions, even with like subscribe um, and save and things like that with Amazons and targets of the world. Um, the really cool thing is, even though they're so big, they provide ideas to our ecosystem, to entrepreneurs, to take some of that technology, integrate it, and enable us to do certain things. So, But I think those would be um, kind of really, really big ones for me from a customer experience standpoint. And one brand I love is that customer experience based. Um, it's a brand is Lego. Uh, one thing I love about Lego and what they double down on is they sell, obviously, their little blocks. But if you have blocks, you can go on Lego's uh, website, and you can find instruction to build anything you can possibly imagine. So as much as they're saying and selling a product, they're really being extremely inclusive and uh, conscious of like, hey, let's empower people to be creative. Their mantra is to, to allow creativity with kids, with, with adults. And um, those are things that I like is when uh, merchants also really think about community. Um, I always say, you know, not me, but people say that uh, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, I feel it takes a community to build a brand. So any community-centric um, brands, uh, I think they kind of have that leg up. And all of these brands that I mentioned, uh, they did a really, really good job embracing their um, target markets, their audiences, and their communities. Those are all really good call-outs. That's pretty good. Lego is an interesting one. That's that's one that we haven't heard. Um, but I love the idea that you, know, you buy your, your base level packs, you buy a couple standard boxes there, hop online, grab some new instructions, and it's a whole new ballgame. Not to, uh, exactly. to keep the baseball puns on there. Yeah, um, shifting over to the merchant side, Josh, there are there are lots of table stakes demands from customers. And we kind of live in this Amazon Starbucks world where like everything needs to be delivered immediately, you know, resources right at your fingertips at all time. How do you kind of get around some of those expectations from merchants who are from, from end customers uh, when you might not be able to have the resources to match someone like an Amazon or a Starbucks, something like that? Yeah, I mean, the first place I would start is is just crystal clear communication. I think there's so many sites that have uh, fantastic, uh, you know, fantastic UX, and they have fantastic 
branding and they have a great product, but just this, the clarity of communication uh, and the touch points of communication. So what's the best medium to talk to a customer? I think is a new, is a big one that people are prioritizing more. Do you want to receive communication through text or through email? What's your preference? Uh, and just getting more personalized with how people want to receive um, their content from you or their instructions from you. Um, and then there's great, there's great apps. Um, you know, obviously like we use gorgeous and, 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 and we use recharge and all these different things. So there's a lot of data on your customer, so you can preemptively solve problems. So something, you know, we're not trying to get more five-star reviews for customer service. We're trying to have less, less reviews total. <laughs> we're trying to have less people that have questions and we're trying to preemptively answer questions, which is, um, you know, better thought out, um, you know, welcome emails, you know, when you when you subscribe to Playcrate, here's everything you need to know about Playcrate. Here's when your first order will ship. Here's how you pause your account. Here's how to get in touch with customer service. And just giving people again, that peace of mind that whatever question they have, they're going to be taken care of. Uh, and they're going to be taken care of quickly and efficiently. And we always have a solution for you. Um, and I think uh, communication is the number one thing that people neglect, just going back into their FAQs and making sure that they're crystal clear and bullet pointed and digestible and that you can skim them and spend less time on them. And then also making sure that no one needs to actually go read an FAQ because everything was already presented through them uh, through a welcome email or through uh, a text message. Um, I love that experience where I don't have to uh, actually experience a problem because all the questions were solved before I even got to that point. So we try to say the best customer service is no customer service. Uh, I would love if one day we just didn't have any tickets because we were so crystal clear with our communication. Uh, and like the best part of this is it's the cheapest way to do it, right? It's like you can just look through everything. You can write it um, and you can really empathize with your customer and what they're going through. A lot of the times we get product ideas and customer uh, experience ideas by just going through every single health ticket, every single review and saying, how, do we, how, do, how can we solve this before it actually you know, came to a ticket? Uh, and then utilizing bots are fantastic. Like a lot of these things can just be solved with bots um, or, uh, you know, or some mach machine learning stuff where someone sends an email through Gorgeous and the the intention is they want a, a tracking number and then we just deliver them a tracking number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, so there's a lot of great technology out there as well. Uh, but again, I would start with the end in mind. Uh, we want to get back to our customers within, you know, three minutes. Um, how is that possible for someone unlike Amazon? We need to use a combination of technology and people. Um, so yeah, then you go out and kind of solve for that. So it's definitely doable because there's great great technology out there. You just have to be very, very organized and be an, an A plus expert communicator. And it's something people miss to be, to be quite frank. I mean, you put it very clearly and it seems so obvious when you say it like that, but the, a lot of people just don't get the fact that a welcome email is not just a place to say, hey, you know, thanks for purchasing. See you in a little bit when you buy your next box. You know, there, there's a lot of information you can put in there. There's a lot of clarity you can help provide before they even have any of those questions. Yeah. And just saying, save this email, right? <laughs> like right. save this email. It's your highest opened email. People are excited about Playcrate. They're going to want to learn more about Playcrate. You can incentivize them with uh, some loyalty points and teach them how to use your systems in your, in your, in your store. Um, and also customer, customer experience and customer service is a great, um, upsell vehicle. Um, it's a great way to teach people what other products you sell. It's a great way to educate people on how to use their subscriptions. So anytime that we're solving, um, you know, one specific issue, we're also training our customers to learn more about our platform and how to use it. Um, so they have a better experience moving forward. Are there any particular areas where you found it problematic to keep up with customer expectations? And you, you said that you try to get in front of them a lot of the time. 
Are there any that come up where you just think, you know, I just, this is one we just can't handle up front. We have to just kind of solve this behind in the back end. I mean, shipping just is terrible. Obviously like the climate for shipping is horrible. The expense is terrible. You know, a lot of the times, you know, we have a fulfillment center and once it leaves their warehouse, we're just, to it's totally out of our control. So one of the biggest issues is just transparency into, um, into tracking, into tracking numbers. And there's tons of apps that do it, but basically if, if your package is between a couple facilities and that tracking link hasn't updated, there's no technology that can pull where that box is. So we're trying to figure out how to set customer expectations for shipping, uh, preemptively giving their, them their tracking numbers, making sure it's super easy to find. You can go to our website and you can see right away just where to track your order. Um, and just giving people the peace of mind that uh, your crate is on the way. You're going to have a great experience. If you need anything, we're here for you. Um, but yeah, shipping is shipping's a tough one because there's so many variables in it, especially since we're shipping from just one fulfillment center um, in Texas uh, and we're shipping all around the country. Uh, there's different shipping times for people. There's different open dates. Uh, so trying to manage expectations for shipping has probably been the biggest hurdle. It's so funny you bring that up. I Right before this, this episode, I just checked. I'm waiting on two different packages. They both say they're going to be delivered today. One of them is in my county and the other one is in Ohio and I'm in California. So there's, yeah. there's just no way that it's going to be delivered today, but it still says going to be delivered today. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And no one's getting mad at the post office or FedEx. I mean, it's your, right. ultimately as a company, it's your responsibility to make sure that that package gets to that person uh, quickly and accurately. And, uh, you know, even if the post office holds it at a local county center for seven days and it has nothing to do with you, your customer is still, still going to reflect on their experience. So uh, it's a really important part of the experience. And that's where Amazon has her own, you know, multi-billion dollar fulfillment service that, you know, is really impossible to keep up with when we're shipping through a bunch of different solutions. But I think, again, the best way to, you know, to, to combat that problem is to communicate it clearly. Here's a normal shipping time. Here's what you can expect. Get excited. Your order's on your way. It's going to be here within two days um, or something like that. And just being crystal clear with communication. So people just aren't guessing. Uh, when their crate's going to be here and reaching out because they're they're unsure. Yep, spot on. What about areas that you you saw demand and actually created a solution where customers actually accepted it and kind of started leveraging this to to be successful? Uh, yeah, real world real world example is uh, is a, a variant on our subscription. We have t-shirt sizes. Um, we have prepaid subscriptions on recharge, so you couldn't change your t-shirt size on your account or any variant and have it update all of the prepaid orders because that order was already placed, I guess. So it was kind of this limitation and we were just doing it manually. It was, uh, you know, we're a kid's subscription box that so their shirts change, their shirt sizes are changing every few months anyway. Um, so we just had someone manually just going back into recharge and just changing every single order for, uh, for years. <laughs> and then we, we made an update with, uh, with Priella and we basically had an automated email sent, um, when a customer changed it in their portal to our customer service person, but basically it's still getting changed manually on the back end, but the customer doesn't have to reach out to support. So we saved a ticket. Um, the solution before was if you want to change your shirt size and you're a prepaid customer, um, then you have to email support at playcrate.com. And that was just like a super clunky way of doing it. Right. Um, we had a lot of people that, that didn't understand those directions. The communication was really difficult to explain. Um, so just having this one email where the customer uh, doesn't know that they have to, to email anyone, but it's still the same email going out. It's just automated from their perspective. Uh, it saved us a ton of tickets. 
I'm sure it's going to increase our LTV. Uh, we're doing the same amount of manual work on the back end, but from the customer perspective, it's just a much better user experience. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. So it's all workaround stuff. I mean, it kind of goes yeah. back to all the beginning, what we were talking about. Most platforms will give you 60, 70, 80% of what you're actually looking for. That last little bit of customization options is required, but that provides such a stellar customer experience. And like you said, it still may be a touch clunky, but the customer never experiences that. So then you never have that kind of that bad review piece there. Um, as far as looking forward into the future, I know it's it's impossible to make uh, make bold predictions and, and be right all the time, but what are some of the big bets you're making for the rest of 2022 and into 2023? Uh, SMS. I'm just really big on SMS. Um, I know Recharge just came out with you know, some really cool features um, for SMS. I think it's a great form of communication. Again, people should have the option uh, if you don't like checking your email and that's not the way that you like to receive your communication, you should be able to opt into, into text. Uh, I also think it's incredibly frictionless. Uh, you're already on your phones, you're having conversations with friends and family, and it just seems seamless that you can have that same relationship with the brand and you can talk to them conversationally. Uh, and you get to develop that same relationship with a brand, which I think increases community like Amir was talking about earlier. Uh, so I'm placing a big bet on, on SMS, how to leverage it, um, not only for customer experience, uh, but also for you know sales for campaigns, increasing LTV by um, giving people the options of pausing or canceling their account through through SMS. I think you just really don't need a website to manage your subscriptions. I think SMS is just a lot easier, a lot frictionless, and a lot more intuitive. And then also there's some some cool apps being built um, to actually do commerce through SMS, which I think is is incredibly frictionless and will be really powerful. I'm really excited to see some of this like text to purchase stuff that comes out. Some of that stuff exists right now, but give yeah. that six, eight months, a year maybe. And that's going to be a really, really interesting channel. Yeah. We have a, we have a company that we're talking to who, uh, who's really cool. I mean, I can, I can name drop them if you want or not, or, or tell you after. Um, but yeah, it's called parrot mob. Um, and it's a really, really cool product. Uh, yeah, it's a text to order. Once you already have a credit card, you can text them, you know, would you like to purchase this? Uh, and, you know, and add it to your next box or something like that. Um, one for yes, two for no. Uh, and it's a great experiment. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that it's it's the solution, but it's definitely worth the test. I think it, it it's going to be really powerful. Well, that's the overarching, you know, oft used phrase where like meet customers where they are. And everyone always thinks like, well, what the heck does that mean? Some yeah. customers don't want to email. Some customers don't want to go online. A simple text that says, do you want this? Do you want that? Click one or two. It's very easy to just say one text done. We'll charge your credit card. Easy. Yeah, for sure. Amir, same question over to you. What, uh, what's some of the big bets you're making in 2023? One, uh, one big thing that I think is already taking off and is going to really solidify itself is, uh, during uh, sales or campaigns through video streaming platforms, whether that's on-site or off-site. Um, I believe there's a lot of potential there and it serves in my opinion, I'm, I'm the type of person I like to go on a website. I know what I buy. I'm, my decision is probably already made before I'm even there. But we also see that there's a lot of customers that they do like to have an interaction. You can answer questions live. Going back to what Josh was saying, it allows you to be more clear and concise and communicate better uh, for merchants that may want a type of, a, uh, I'm sorry, customers that may want a different type of an experience. So I think uh, whoever gets in video selling, um, I think it, it can go a long way. Uh, a lot of merchants questions, well, how can I sell X, Y, and Z? Well, 
if you have additional inventory or if you're a subscription box and you're series-based or whatever the case is, and you have this leftover inventory, that might be a great way to engage and create relationships, more direct relationships uh, with your customer base. I also think that um, subscription experience needs to get better from, from two standpoints. One standpoint being, I'm still amazed at how many uh, companies, brands, merchants, they are not in the subscription space, whether subscribe to save or having a box. Uh, it, it still kind of bottles my mind, especially with a uh, cost of advertising and acquisition continuously skyrocketing. It's such an easy um, transition. We, we work with a company that um, sells uh, soaps and beauty healthcare products and they didn't have subscriptions before. We launched subscriptions and recharge, and in that first month, they had 500 subscribers. It was literally <laughs> effortless. It was like literally effortless. And from then, you have that you know foundation. You keep building, and you figure out what they want more. Um, the other uh, big one is kind of in the same sentence: is I feel that companies think once you get somebody to subscribe to companies, your relationship stops there. It's, I think you alluded to a chase earlier. It's not, a, it's not a cycle. It's more like an infinity loop with different stops throughout the journey. And that customer journey can never end, whether it's text messages like, uh, like uh, Josh is talking about or emails or creating an incredible customer portal where everything's at their fingertips. Some merchants, when they can and get to the point, creating an app so you can harvest all of the data and all of the information. Um, so I, I think we're going to see more of that uh, moving forward, just so brands can own their uh, customers even more. Um, and the last one, kind of to, to piggyback, is there's a big focus on conversion rate optimization. For conversion rate optimization, I think people are panicking because of increased prices. I mean, the, 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 the entire atmosphere in the space is it's a little bit on edge now. But I think merchants need to really shift to revenue optimization. Going back to what uh, uh, Josh was saying, having certain upsells, whether it's in your checkout or your cart or uh, in, in your portal, kind of these like lost real estate spots on the website that no, no one looks at. You gotta uh, maximize and, and, and really monetize every pixel on the screen in the right manner, uh, kind of like a store does with their square footage. You're not gonna right. have empty. Um, square footage in a store or rent you pay two, three thousand, five thousand dollars a month, whatever it is. So I think that you really need to focus on that and make it more personalized through a life cycle of a customer. Um, I'll use a great example. In Chicago, uh, we have obviously cold, cold winters. Um, well, if you're having a seasonal product, would it be better for me to cancel from September, October? Or would it be better for uh, you to pause my subscription and for me to rejoin in March uh, for something that's outdoors and more relevant to me? So just thinking about these different uh, times in the life cycle, but also taking geographics, demographics, and all of those other parts to, to our customers and really making sure we're personalizing the experience a whole lot more. So there was a ton in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think you kind of just proved the point of why working with an agency is super important and super valuable <laughs> because you have so much insight into all of these different pieces there. The one that I want to dive into just a little bit more, and Josh, I want to get your opinion here, is this idea of a customer lifecycle is not just a straight line. It's, it's an infinity loop. That's a way that I haven't seen it uh, described before, but it's such a good example of that. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's like a relationship anywhere else. It's relationship with boyfriend, girlfriend, it's relationship with an agency, it's relationship with a customer. 
as soon as they purchase and as soon as they give you money, that's not the end. That's the beginning because there's a next step. There's a shipping package. There's a welcome package. And then if you're on subscription, there's a second package coming at some point. So everything just loops. Everything keeps going back in a circle or an infinity loop. It's a, it's a great metaphor. Josh, do you want to add anything onto that from, uh, from your own experience? Yeah. I mean, after just talking with Amir about, uh, you know, conversion rate versus revenue optimization, like I, it just completely kind of shifted the way I looked at things. Sometimes I look at metrics very, very siloed and I'm like, all right, the next step is conversion because our conversion rate's low because we raised AOV. So every time we improve one metric, it kind of sways another metric and then right. we kind of go after that. And that's, that's kind of our life cycle. But I think looking at it more holistically, taking a step back, like Amir said, uh, is a much better approach to just keeping customers longer. And that's kind of the shift that we're seeing with, uh, you know, post iOS 14, everything that's happening with privacy. Uh, people are just saying our customers are not coming from Facebook anymore. They're not coming from performance marketing. Our dollars uh, and our profitability is actually coming from the customers we already have. And the best way to keep your customers uh, longer is to, to create a better experience that, you know, make, impacts their lives positively for a longer time. And a lot of the time that could just be pausing the account and not giving you money for a few months and it's personalizing their experience. So they feel comfortable with you and they trust you and you're building that trust with them instead of this transactional um, relationship. Uh, you know, you could be a brand that they always come back to, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, once every 10 months or, or it's every single month for a subscription, uh, but giving them the, the options to do that. Uh, and like you said, like we're redoing all of our, our touch points. There's so many ways to communicate with customers uh, and there's so many ways to, to show personality and show brand and show, um, you know, who they're working with. Like, I, I think a lot of brands are, are really scared to show faces um, because they want to be this like uh, buttoned up corporate entity. Um, but I mean, we sell baseball stuff. It's like, we're not selling like uh, life and death medical supplies. It should be fun. And uh, you should know that we play baseball and that we enjoy everything. So I just think, uh, you know, the transparency has really worked for us uh, in our business. But uh, in terms of just revenue optimization, um, I think at the life cycle of customers, a customer that's been with us for two years is going to have different wants and needs than a customer that's been with us for two months. Uh, and just asking them what their needs are or rewarding them. We're going back and we're doing a special crate uh, one month for all of our customers for over a year just to celebrate that experience and thank them and give them some you know, extra loyalty points. And we're calling them gold customers. And we're just really celebrating, you know, their loyalty and like, we're genuinely appreciative of them for like what makes right. us stay in business is that customer base of, of 2000 people, um, of our gold customers, uh, that have been with us for, for one plus years. Uh, I'm just like so grateful that we have that many customers who have, who have stayed with us for that long. Um, that I think, awesome. you know, all of our, all of our, our big revenue will come from them anyway. So I'm appreciative of it. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Another uh, quick inside tip, reward your most loyal customers. We could do a whole episode on that. Maybe we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Getting into a couple closing questions here. Uh, let's do some rapid fire. Josh, starting with you, what advice would you give to a subscription brand who's just launching, just getting off the ground? Uh, yeah. I'm going to kind of reiterate some of the best advice I got from, um, is actually from Gotham Gupta. He was the founder of nature box. He told me when I was just starting Playcrate, he's like, He's like, you can't just dive right into paid advertising because it masks a lot of problems. So um, our holy grail is pretty much our referral rate from returning customers. So 30% uh, of our new customers come from existing customers. So wow. it means that people like the product. Uh, and I always want that to be our main number one um, source of acquisition is our customers. Because uh, it means we have whatever you want to define product market fit as, that's, that's how I define it, is, is our number one acquisition channel, our, our existing customers. 
So I'd say hack every way to get there through product, through customer experience, through design, through development. And then once you're seeing this organic growth without uh, a ton of paid you know, performance marketing, then you can start to leverage that um, as something that can expedite your growth. Um, and you can still you can still do performance marketing, but it shouldn't be your absolute number one, you know, 80% of your your acquisition strategy. And that was some of the best advice I ever got. Cause the thing is if you're if you're growing at a rate um, just through paid ads and then something devastating happens like iOS 14 uh, and you lose that acquisition channel, all of a sudden um, you know, your business uh, was way too over leveraged on paid. So um, over leverage yourself on, on loyalty and great product and great experience and, and all the, the stuff that doesn't sound sexy. <laughs> Diversify on the channel, all the buzzwords. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Amir, over to you. Advice you give to a subscription brand just launching. Um, I, I would say f focus focus on community. I, I'm really big on community, uh, community and transparency. I love what Josh uh, mentioned earlier about expose yourself, who you are. Um, I love to support. Uh, I don't call, I don't like to call them necessarily small business or local businesses, but independent businesses, people who are really trying to uh, lift up. And when I hear their story, sharing their story, having those interests, I know if I take Josh an example, I've played soccer my, uh, my entire life. If I go into soccer, uh, <clears throat> soccer trade, I'm going to get a product from a person who shares the same passion. Same thing with baseball, so with play trade, so on and so forth. So that, 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 that I think means a lot for me. Uh, the other big thing I'm uh, big on is figure out how to back your product up, maybe through sample. Uh, if you're in that type of uh, subscription box, what is called the beauty and things like that, if you can provide some type of samples uh, or value to them to really kind of win them over, over or pre uh, provide some type of welcome box that maybe has an extra pizzazz to make you feel extra special in that first box, I think it can go go a long way. Provide value up front, and then I think that most most customers will stick with you. Cool. Again, really solid advice. Let's let's flip the script. Let's say now a brand is has found their product market fit. Uh, they're selling really well. They're working on their community. What advice do you give to that brand who to to keep scaling? How do you get past some of the some of the boundaries? Uh, Josh, I know you're working towards that hundred thousand subscriber mark. So, how, what are what are some of the things you're doing to try to get there? Uh, yeah, personalization and user experience. So I think, um, you know, building out your products to better serve your customers um, and just really, you know, we do listen to our customers and we also build out things that they've never expected. So I wouldn't take all of your advice from your customers transparently because uh, you're the person that's building out this incredible experience that they can never have imagined. Um, but yeah, I think just personalization and, uh, you know, how you're communicating with them in channel, giving them more flexibility into subscription management. Uh, building out better products for them uh, and a bigger variety of products to serve a wider need. Um, you know, it, it's something so simple with us as just adding t-shirt sizes, literally increased our acquisition and decreased our CAC instantly because we just opened up to a broader variety of people. Um, and you can't always do that because you take on risk and you have to, you know, you have to pay for more for, you know, inventory and things like that. But uh, yeah, I, I think just deeper personalization, deeper communication, uh, and better user experience all around, which is what everyone's trying to do at every stage of their business. Right. Amir? Uh, I think uh, one thing that I like to encourage most to do is don't be afraid to pivot. And what I mean is uh, a company uh, at a million operates differently than a company at 5 million, a company at uh, 20 million operates differently than 5 million. So as you're kind of going through these stages and hitting these ceilings, plateaus, and things like that, you may need to uh, 
hear back from your customers and see, okay, what are we missing here? So in, you know, in the first, after 5 million, you might be okay with sampling and creating a community, but maybe to take it from five to 10, you need to create some type of exclusivity. Like, uh, you know, maybe certain types of um, subscribers, or maybe if you have a subscription and one-time purchase business that um, people feel special and really uh, build on top of that. The other thing, and I think Josh can really uh, attest to this, we have an incredible community. Uh, I uh, look at Recharge, Shopify, the e-commerce ecosystem as almost like a doctorate field. We like to share information that makes us successful. Take Josh right now. Uh, I, I talk about jo uh, John Roman a lot because he then helps us, Josh helps us. So between the entire ecosystem, I think there's people that have done it or gone through that before that are willing to help. And don't be afraid to say, hey, I'm at 5 million. I cannot figure out a way to break to six. There's probably 100 people, um, key, keywords or mouse swipes away that will jump on a call with you and help you guide or suggest what they have done to, to break through that ceiling. It's fantastic advice. I totally agree. Final question for both of you, Josh, I'll let you go first. What physical products do you subscribe to? Uh, I've subscribed to Stance Socks before. I thought it was, uh, I wanted to see what their experience is like. And then I ended up just loving the product. And I love that uh, you could switch the socks every month. And they had a really great personalized experience. And just seeing how they, you know, I'm like, they have to be super heavy on inventory. So I, I really bought that as a learning experience. And now I'm like a very loyal, like Stance fan because of it. Uh, <laughs> and then ButcherBox. Um, ButcherBox is a Boston area company. Um, I, I, I met Mike Salguero and he's given me a lot of great advice and it's just a really amazing, impressive company, uh, and it's mission driven. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I love paying for it. I love getting the subscription. Um, I think they've solved so many difficult problems and, uh, and they have such a strong mission. So I love supporting them. Uh, and that's how, you know, it's a good brand where, uh, I pay them and, and I'm super happy about it and I'm super happy about evangelizing them. Uh, but yeah, those are the, those are the two main ones. I love the examples you buy as research and they turn out to be just fantastic products that you stay, stay subscribed to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amir, what do you subscribe to? Um, I, so I'm going to plug in a, a very large company. I think they're doing a tr tremendous job with customer uh, service and I probably will never leave them because of that. I have a dog named Simba, love him to death. And um, Chewy checks in on Simba all the time. Uh, kind of to an annoying person because I would love for them to ask how I was doing, but they keep asking Simba how he's doing. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I just get food from there. He has to eat specific food that I can't really uh, buy, buy anywhere. So I really, a script subscribe to that food. Um, so uh, they do a really, really incredible job with that. Other uh, one, and I'm vegetarian, but I, I love their products is uh, uh, Grill Masters Club. Um, I like to prepare food. I do a lot of uh, uh, impossible and uh, meat alternatives. Um, I love Oatly, again, being vegetarian. Um, Oatly is speaking about supply chain issues. I can never find them in store, but I know yeah. if I subscribe to them, I'm always going to have it delivered uh, to me and it's 100% uh, uh, gonna be there. And I love Dr. Spotch. So Dr. Spotch is another one I really enjoy. And uh, uh, those are probably the ones. I've subscribed to a lot of different ones through, throughout time, but sometimes I also have to make a decision. I can't have too many boxes at my, uh, my front step. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> We got a wide variety of subscriptions there. Well, Josh and Amir, thank you both for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Chase.
We want to thank Amir and Josh once again for joining us. If you're interested in Prayella or Plate Crate, you can head over to prayella.com or platecrate.com. 